Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, feeling, I'm feeling uh, idealistic and patriotic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, David, I think I know where you're headed. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, special uh, congratulations to our friend uh, Dave Chen over at Slash Filmcast for his recent uh, American, wait, American citizenship. What's the name of that? Like, what would you... uh, I don't know. Yeah that, yeah, that works. It's a recent development, his American citizenship. And, uh, yeah. And he wrote a very touching blog about it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So congratulations to him. David is pissed off, though. Because <laughs> I need I need something to be pissed off about. Absolutely, um, at all times. No, um, <clears throat> just uh, Dave had had mentioned on his on his Twitter that it was um, kind of a pricey process mm-hmm. becoming a citizen. Yeah, and you know now are you again, comfortable giving the specific? Uh, uh, no, I don't want okay. to because Dave didn't. So um, okay, a certain amount of money over a certain period of time. Yeah, and. Um, it really bothered me, uh, as a, uh, I, I guess I'm just this this sort of bleeding heart liberal who says we should just open, throw wide our arms and uh, and take all comers. Uh, I don't honestly. I don't think that's a function of uh, liberalism because you know that like with the idea of like illegal immigration, just like oh they should try to become citizens or whatever the case may be. Uh-huh. And it's like well okay. Maybe let's not make them pay through the nose to do that as well. Like, if they're willing to go through what sounds like a very rigorous, exhausting process, then mm-hmm. how about that? That seems like that would be the payment. Um, and uh, and I don't I don't think it's a function of liberalism or conservatism. It just makes sense that if somebody's willing to do this and they love it here, you know, enough to want to be a citizen of here and nowhere else, yeah, then just why not? You know, uh, yeah, I, I believe that we're supposed to be. Uh, uh, it's part of. It's just part of the uh, American. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Experience. <laughs> no, but um, <coughs> I just think that it's it's part of our personality as a nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, personality is not the word I'm looking for, but um, identity. Identity is the word I'm looking for. Right. Our identity as a nation, um, is that we're sort of a. I don't know. Uh, almost like a, a sanctuary. Like we just yeah. we'll take people in, uh, make them one of our own, and and protect them. Or yeah. you know, not necessarily. I mean, that doesn't always happen that way. R- it right, almost yeah. never happens that way. But uh, <clears throat> that's just what I think we should strive for. And I'm not. It's funny in most in most avenues. I'm not an idealist. I'm kind mm-hmm. of a of, of a realist. Yeah. Um, uh, which is calling yourself a realist is the excuse that lazy people give for not doing anything. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I guess if I don't, if I if I allow myself to not be idealistic about what America means, then what does anything else mean to me? I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel? Uh, you know, it's actually it's odd that you bring this up because um, I growing up. Uh, I was, uh, you know, not growing up. I wasn't like this when I was seven. But um, in my teenage years, I, like everybody else, started to see, like, the cracks in the system, man. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I, 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 and as we discussed uh, before, um, I, I'm very drawn to, like, books and movies about the failures of, of capitalism and the failures of America. Um, that said, of course, I was always, like, very, like, 
you know, proud to be an American, but in, in like an abstract way. And yeah. then, okay, this is going to sound uh, okay. Now, now I'm going to start sounding a little too idealistic. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the uh, the the presidential primaries uh, started happening, and then you turned me on to uh, Ron Paul. I who, told you I, I wasn't. No, 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 right, but you yeah. told me about him and told that you me. liked him, and, and I, I hadn't really heard of him. Uh-huh. Not many people had, and then, of course, there was this big groundswell of, uh, of support. Um, but, uh, and that's the thing is, I didn't always agree with him, but to hear the way, like, for example, like the word liberty, uh, it's just a word, as, as far as I knew, it's just one of those things that we say in America, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> liberty, justice, pursuit of happiness. Isn't that Superman, or is that the? Is that the uh, de- Declaration of Independence? No, or is Superman that, uh, truth, stands truth for justice, justice and, and Ameri- all that other stuff. Yeah, wait, truth, justice. Ah, shoot. In the American way. In the American way. But there, in Superman Returns, the, isn't it? Is it Frank Langella or someone says truth, justice, and all that other stuff, and people were like all up in arms about it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get. Yeah. <sighs> Man, this this is exhausting. <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, so like, so two things happened, and both of them are more than a little cheesy. I heard Ron Paul speak in a in a very honest way, and he kept defining liberty. Now, of course, he had run as a libertarian uh-huh. in the past, so of course he has very strong opinions about what liberty means. And in talking about it, part of, all of a sudden, I'm just like, wow. All of a sudden, now I know what liberty means, and I know what it's supposed to mean, and it's exhilarating. It's, it's an exhilarating thing. Mm-hmm. That combined with, uh, as I mentioned before, I once uh, I worked at a place where I was doing research on a documentary about uh, journalistic freedoms in this country and another, as opposed to other countries, and uh, and of course our country's not perfect, but like uh, yeah, it, like that in itself is astounding that anybody can write really anything they want here, you know, um, yeah. and just put it out there and not have to worry about being imprisoned. Like there was a, there was a blogger in China who uh, was in prison for 13 years because he said, Hey, maybe things aren't going so well. Um, but our problem now is that most of our media journalists have their sort of, uh, their balls cut off by the fact that they're mm -hmm. working for, uh, the corporations that are, Oh, you said corporations. Now you sound like a liberal. Dude. <laughs> um, uh, that are in charge of. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is kind of a problem. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, but I'm not uh, going to go off on corporations. Let's let's not do that just yet. Which also because I, I think our listenership probably knows what I'm going to say. We, we have yeah. a pretty smart listenership. Absolutely. Absolutely. They probably all saw the corporation. Yeah, if, if, they a, did, if they didn't, they should. That's a great documentary. Mm-hmm. You know. I saw Food Inc. recently. That's also a great documentary. How'd that work out for you? Uh, it, it's, it's scary. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I mean, it, I don't know if you, if other, other people have seen it, but essentially if you're not eating all organic mm-hmm. by buying all organic stuff, you might as well just be eating at McDonald's, uh, hmm. all the time. It, it's really depressing. <laughs> so when I go to my, one of my favorite places in North Hollywood, the eclectic cafe, and I order myself a nice filet mignon. Uh-huh. How do I know, David? How do I know? Uh, if, I mean, what's happened? I mean, uh, the thing is, the majority of meat is made for fast food industry uh, okay. companies, and it's and the majority of meat is made by a few small companies who are making it for the fast food uh, corporations and companies. You know, so 
they're making all their meat to sort of the fast food standards mm-hmm. because that's their biggest uh, customer. So any, any the, the meat that you buy from the you know the chicken breast you buy in the package at the grocery store is from the same uh, chickens and the same system that got made the uh, chicken nuggets at McDonald's. That's it, David. I'm not <laughs> eating. I'm not eating anymore. I'm gonna. What about what about my Ralph's brand water? Is that all right? Oh, you're fine. With my generic Kool Aid that I put inside it. <laughs> you're fine. Okay. Um. So to get back to, and I'm going to imagine that the uh, coffee bean and tea leaf egg salad sandwich <laughs> I ate today was you know free range. <laughs> um. You know. Okay. Let's. We're done talking about this American thing. Let's talk about the coffee bean and tea. Leaf I didn't say my last thing. <laughs> Hold on. I will. Sometimes roll my eyes at people who are adamant about uh, preferring Pepsi to Coke or Coke to Pepsi, you know? But at the same time, I would drive past two Starbucks to get to a coffee bean and tea leaf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, I didn't know you roll your eyes at that. There is a definite difference between Coke and Pepsi, Dave. Eh. (laughs) You son of a bitch. Um, Oh, so the last thing that made me feel a great deal more, like, patriotic and idealistic about what the country should be, like, in theory was uh John Adams. Oh, yeah. So, um which really, I mean, Did you ever end up reading the book that it's based on? No, I didn't. I hear it's wonderful. Yeah, I should. I should read it. But uh yeah, for those for uh, me either. It's very <laughs> <laughs> I am currently reading all the King's Men, which incidentally does not help my uh, idealism right. about the country. But um but the uh for those who haven't seen John Adams, it's really it's a wonderful mini series. Uh and with like a lot of really great acting, but also it's just, there's like a lot of like we, I think we've discussed this before that there's not a lot of big battle scenes, but the scenes of debate in Congress are just as interesting, if not more so than any scenes of violence in that miniseries. Uh, it's, it's much like John Adams himself and Thomas Jefferson and all those other guys. It's, it's a miniseries that really trades on ideas and concepts and just the constant discussion of them and uh it's really it's such an invigorating film and it really just got me thinking like oh my i'm sorry it's an invigorating uh show miniseries um and just that combined with like certain certain things that ron paul said and then like investigating uh these uh journalists and stuff like that it just it really got me being like man i live in a freaking awesome country a lot of the time and uh and i'm but at the same time, yeah, it, I think that, all it does is make you frustrated about what it's not sometimes. Yeah, but that's I mean, being frustrated about what it's not is just as patriotic uh, as loving it because it just means you care. I don't know. You I know? feel like it means that you hate the country, Dave. <laughs> that's what uh, yeah, certain uh, 24-hour news channels will have you believe. Um, <laughs> but, Man, uh, you said that, and now I just want to talk about how much I, I, I am really coming to despise glenn beck but we don't have time for that so. no one has time for glenn beck just people like glenn beck, glenn beck and sarah palin they're just they're just distractions they're just jokes no you'd think so you know i, I don't have time for anyone who who takes what john stossel says seriously i don't know who that is okay he's he's uh you know he's not quite a glenn beck but he's just a, glenn he's beck's pretty high profile i don't know yeah. who john stossel is but uh but yeah, uh, Beck's recent thing was uh, he was talking to people who attend churches, like myself, uh-huh. and said, uh, "If you see the, I'm sure you've heard this. If you see the word social justice 
in your like church's like program or bulletin or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, run as fast as you can because social, you know, social justice is just like a code word for like communism and fascism. <laughs> and I'm just like, are you kidding me? This is this, this is the worst. This yeah. is really quite terrible. So by all means, be part of a church. If your church has any inkling to make any kind of difference in this world, just get get away from it. Just go yeah. away. Just well, this is keep the man everything. who said, uh, uh, you know, it only took me a few weeks to really start hating the families of the 9-11 victims. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. He's a... He's, he's almost... He's, he's kind of... Joke. He's kind of entertainingly crazy. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah, he's... But, uh, man, it is frustrating. Though, Not worth discussing. Yeah. All right. So. All right, everybody. L- let's so, get into it, shall we? Yeah. Um, last week, we sort of have built this tradition where mm. the week after the Oscars, we do our favorite films of the year. And then the week after that, we do our favorite, uh, we've been calling them for the past couple of years, individual achievements. Yeah. Uh, so these are actors, act- actresses, uh, you know, directors, just yeah. uh, the, the individual artists who worked on the film. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, there's not really a, as much of a structure to it as there is to the top 10, you mm-hmm. know, we just sort of talk about what stood out for us y- usually. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I need to pull up uh, another list here, but, uh, okay. So David, let's, uh, I'm sorry. I've got, I've got a lot of lists going here. I didn't write mine down. Well, I'm going to talk about, uh, right off the bat where I think, um, it's it's very rare that the Oscar actually goes to the person that I would give the Oscar to. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jeff Bridges, hands down, best performance, best leading performance of the year for me. Uh, I would, hmm, I would agree with that. Yes, because he's he's everything that I, you know, his performance is everything that I look for mm-hmm. in a performance. Um, and as I've said before, he's so naturalistic. Uh, a big thing for me as far as certain types of, of characters, um, especially ones that purport to take place in our reality, is do I believe that they existed before the movie started and I do b- and do I believe that they'll exist after the movie is over? Mm-hmm. And with his character, absolutely. There's no question about it. Um, are you all right there, David? I don't want to get Sprite on the soundboard. Okay. I know what I'm doing. I, I, clearly. Um but uh yeah Jeff Bridges is really really wonderful. Um now my in like the best lead actor category um I I you know in almost all these I chose to go with people who were who were not nominated and maybe like should have been or or something like that but people who really uh really impacted me. And uh David you've not seen the film Moon, right? I did not know. Okay. Uh Sam Rockwell is in it. Um I'm a big fan. And uh, it's oh it man it's a wonderful performance. The movie is 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 good. Um, you know sometimes their minimal budget kind of showed through, um, and it kind of has spoilers. Why does that bother you so much? People I don't, don't want things spoiled. I know, for I know. But like even if I speak in the broadest of terms, like for it's example, just to be right, safe, say spoiler. It okay. takes you a second. Spoilers. Yeah, there you go. It has a, it has kind of a slightly. It kind of has a, like an, a happy ending that seems a little tacked on, um, huh. but the uh, but that said, the emotion that Sa- Sam Rockwell displays uh, for those that don't know, he's a plays a character who is uh, stationed on the moon by himself for three years, and he's getting towards the end of his uh, his contract, and uh, now it's time f- to uh, 
to go back to Earth and see his family again, and and he discovers that maybe it's not that easy, and uh, maybe there's other things going on, and uh, and it's just a really emotional performance uh, that you don't see from Sam Rockwell very often. Mm-hmm. Um, not and that's not a function of him; it's just he doesn't get cast in those roles very often. But he just he's always been one of the more committed actors uh, that I've seen, and uh, you know just watch. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous... Wait. Yeah. Confessions, Confessions of a Dangerous, dangerous mind. mind? Okay. Yeah. For a minute, I was like, Dangerous Minds. That's not right. <laughs> That's a different thing. That's with Michelle Pfeiffer. But, um, yeah, he's great in that. He's just he's a really solid actor, and I'm excited that he's going to be playing a villain in the upcoming yeah. Iron Man film. Yeah. But uh, but in Moon, it's really just a he wonderful... He's a good villain in Charlie's Angels. I didn't see it, David. It's fun. It's I, a fun I, movie. I've, I've no doubt of that. But... Uh, but yeah, so uh, but his performance in Moon, the film itself is is good, not necessarily great, but his performance is really quite wonderful. It's the kind of thing that, if it was that kind of movie, he absolutely would have been nominated because he carries that film in a way that uh, that only like the best actors can do. Okay, um, I also want to talk about uh, some of the the Oscars. Also, uh, not in who they gave the award to, but at least nominated someone that I think uh, is great is uh, Anna Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Um, from for up in the air because um, I feel like that movie was sort of at first billed as a comedy, and then when they realized mm. it might get some Oscar attention, they sort of uh, just realigned the way that you're supposed to think about it. Right, it, right. It's but um, it I, I think it is still it's still a comedy. Oh yeah. Uh, for for the most part, I mean, the comedies can have serious undertones, and this has some very serious ones. But it's really it's a, co- a comedy, yeah. And Anna Kendrick is giving a really great comedic performance, yeah. You know, and I don't just mean that she's funny; she is, um, but that she is giving a performance that is uh, always funny or always potentially funny, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but n- never once uh, going against what. This character that she's created and that and the, and the, the screen screenplay mm-hmm. has created, you know, it's uh, it's it's completely believable, even when it's being when she's playing just directly for laughs, you know, when she's drunk right. or or when she's crying, yeah, you know, it's it, it seems broad, but it always fits in, into this into this character she's made, and I actually feel like this is a per like you said with the Jeff Bridges thing, I feel like mm-hmm. this is a person that you that you would know, yeah, and and what. Uh, I remember when we had uh, Joel Church Cooper and Aaron Gibson on the show, and Aaron said that she was really tired of like TV shows like Friends, like playing crying for laughs. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and I I agree when it's done poorly, as uh-huh. almost everything was in Friends. Um, but uh, that's, un- <laughs> I, I like that, that's unfair. Um, but the uh, but yeah, you're right. Like her. Her her crying scene, at no point did she seem like she was overplaying it so that we would all laugh. Yeah, she it it, it really was quite astounding that she was crying in a really organic way, mm-hmm. a way that I believed the character would be crying. But she's but she as an actress still recognized this is going to get laughs. Yeah, but she wasn't pandering to get them. It was re- it's really that that scene especially is really quite amazing and. And really, uh, kind of announced her as as a strong comedic actress. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was a I was a, a big fan of her in that in that film. Um, 
And I will actually bring up uh, another uh, supporting uh, actress um, who gave a, a really solid comedic performance. Uh, the film Extract is okay. It's okay. not wonderful. Um, it has a couple really solid laughs in there. Um, but I- I'm really starting to like Kristen Wiig as an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked her in Knocked Up. She was very, very funny. She, I, she was like the passive aggressive. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I was so surprised too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's great. And uh, and in and, um, Adventureland. Yeah, she, yeah, she's a. <laughs> yeah, she's in Adventureland as well, but um. But so she's she's an extract as uh, Jason Bateman's hus- uh, uh, wife, and um, and if you look at the trailers, the character looks very you know very two dimensional. Just like her lack of desire for sex is what spur you know kind of spurs him on to like seek after this other woman, and it's mm-hmm. just like oh well she's the you know the shrewish wife is kind of a non entity type character. But both in the way the character is written, but the way that she plays him. Uh, the way that she plays uh, the the character, sorry, um, she she feels very human, and her lack of like want their lack of like uh, sex life, it does affect her just as much as it affects him, and there are scenes where she finally has to like come out and explain, you know. Uh, why she's frustrated, and there are scenes of of not heavy drama, but kind of that bittersweet drama that uh, that you'll find in comedies like that, where it doesn't overplay it. It's just enough to make me like, oh, that hurts a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there are also scenes in there where she's very funny because spoilers. See, I'm saying that everything is fine. Spoilers. Uh, she winds up having an affair with like the local pool cleaner. Uh, and just like her dealing with with that uh-huh. is very funny because it's it's almost just something that she's like ah how did how did this happen and and the pool cleaner is like a, a good looking mo- uh, moron he's just a just an idiot who plays him I don't remember the name of the actor okay. but he does a great job too and of course there's a certain maturity in dealing with him as well because even morons have feelings. Uh-huh. But, like, the way in which she talks to him, like, he'll say something and she's like, ah, oh, he is so stupid. <laughs> um, she doesn't she doesn't really say that, but just in her face, like, I cannot stand to listen to this man. I will kiss him if only I'll, I'll crib a line from uh, 30 Rock. I want to kiss him to keep him from saying such ridiculous things. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, I really liked her performance. And just uh, there's a lot of this, kind, this might be kind of a weird thing to say, but, like. This is a really good time for like strong comedic actresses. Um, there's a lot that have really emerged, and some from places you wouldn't expect, like you know Anna Kendrick and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just, and I'm excited about that. I think it's just uh, the progress in uh, yeah, the way yeah. that, we're, that we're thinking. I don't think I don't think women are suddenly funnier over the past ten years. No, I, just I know. Think I, we're sort of allowing them to be more right. I think. I think Hollywood has has recognized that, not fully, but right. We're making making strides. Yeah, but I think Hollywood has recognized, like, oh, yeah, a, a, a woman actually can carry a comedy and not be the straight man, you know, uh-huh. um, as evidenced by something like Thirty Rock, in which Liz Lemon is to me a brilliant comedic character, 
because normally in a sh- in a show like this, she would be the, the Dave Foley role from uh, News Radio, where she's level headed and everyone else are, is crazy, but she's not. And that's <laughs> yeah. and a lot of the comedy comes from that, and and so uh, I, I think that's the, great. Uh, could we scale with James Rebhorn as, as the dad? Oh yeah. Oh man, it was. Yeah. The uh, anyway, never mind. People should. If you want, if you want to listen to people talk about TV on a podcast, right? You can head over to previously on. Yeah. Oh, on uh, iTunes. Oh, I thought you were going to go with Paul Goebel's show. Okay. No, previously on. Previously, it's my on. show. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, now I want to try to avoid repeating myself from last week because when we talked about Inglorious Bastards, I, I talked a lot about the the um, uh, the the non-American actors, uh, Christoph Waltz, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel, Daniel Bruhl, and uh, specifically Melanie Laurent. Mm-hmm. And that's who I want to talk about today is Melanie Laurent. Yeah. Um, well, here, what I said last week is that uh, th- these actors maybe, they bring something else uh, that keeps it from being all Tarantino all the time, you know, which mm. is a good thing. I, I like Tarantino, but it's sort of part of the problem is that or it could it could be a problem if everyone was sort of just so a part of his cult of personality that it just sounded like he was playing every role. You right, know? right. Uh, which is the problem that Wes Anderson has when he casts less able actors like the Wilson brothers. Um, <laughs> Wait a second. I'm not a fan of either of them as an actor. Okay, hang on. Wait, what? Hang on a second. I'm normally not that defensive of Wes Anderson, but have you seen the Darjeeling Limited? No. Is that Owen Wilson? And admittedly, he as a person was probably going through some stuff in his life <laughs> right. at the time of the filming. That is, it is one of. One of his, not just one of his best performances, because if you don't think he's a good actor, that's not saying much. But it's a really great performance by him, and an incredibly vulnerable one. Um, I think, and and I think actually Luke Wilson and Royal Tenenbaums, I think they as actors do their best work for Wes Anderson. But like Owen Wilson in Darjeeling Limited really got me thinking of him in a different way. Um, it's and I didn't expect to like that movie, but I wound up liking it a great deal. I don't think I've liked Luke Wilson in anything except Vacancy, but he didn't. <laughs> He's uh, I like him in Idi- in Idiocracy. Yeah, I don't know. See, I normally try to avoid being mean about uh, an actor because I'm not an actor and I don't really know what it's like. But mm-hmm. for some reason, I just I'm not afraid to say I don't care for the Wilson brothers as actors. Um, but anyway, that's we're, we're off track. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so that was Quentin that, Tarantino, yes. Yeah, that was what we talked about last week. Um, but in in addition to that, Melanie Laurent's performance is really... Uh, it's it's really old-fashioned in a good way. It's mm. like a... It, she's like a Marlena Dietrich or someone who mm. is, on the one hand, giving a very real, um, very believable, very well-rounded... Uh, performance, yeah. you know, that's it's acting, you know, yeah. in, you know, underlying capital A acting, but it's also at the same time she's never forgetting that she's in a movie mm-hmm. and she's, uh, I mean, it's, I guess it's if you're okay, I guess if a, if, a, if a woman is is born beautiful and is beautiful, that's one thing, you mm-hmm. know, that's easy for them because they just are beautiful, yeah. But uh, glamour, I think, is something that is either 
I, I don't I don't know if it's as innate. I think it's something that that you have that not everyone can do. Mm-hmm. And Melian manages to be uh, real and raw and believable and glamorous. Yeah, at all times, and it's it's a um, it's a kind of acting we don't often cherish anymore in 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 women because maybe it's kind of reductive and <laughs> and easy to you know just yeah. uh ha- have women be objects of glamour but i still think it is a uh it's a skill and 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 we've moved to now in romantic comedies or in romances in general women are often like uh the characters are are maybe they're they're klutzy or they're there's we sort of uh cherish their inelegance you mm-hmm. know and sometimes that works you know i mean I like Sandra Bullock in most things, yeah, uh, because she's very good at that kind of thing. It's very charming, mm-hmm. you know. But I, I liked Melanie Lawrence's performance because it, it just seemed uh, so old, old school, and and, uh, and and elegant and glamorous. Yeah, uh, she's. I, Jen and I watched uh, *Inglorious Bastards* uh, two days ago, and um, and I, of course, I had seen it before, and she hadn't seen it. But um, you know, when you think of that movie, you do tend to think of. I, like when you rem- remember it, you do tend to think of, you know, Christoph Waltz or Brad Pitt or like performances that are a little, for lack of a better word, bigger. Not to imply they're bad, right. but they're bigger and more inherently memorable. Her performance is smaller, but it's it's still. I mean, you watch that, and there is no question who the real hero of this whole thing is, uh-huh. and it's her. Yeah, and she's got a, she has to carry a lot of weight. On her shoulders, uh, as far like emotional weight. I mean, Brad Pitt doesn't have to carry any of that. He's kind of this fun, you know. He's he's also a throwback, but like, you know, he 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 has no stake in what's going on. She does, yeah. And so, um, so she has to do a lot of a lot of things. She has lines that are kind of funny. She has lines that are kind of. It's going to sound strange. Badass. She uh-huh. has, you know, she has to also seem very vulnerable at times. Like her moment when she's talking to Christoph Waltz after eating the, uh, uh, shoot, no, uh, strudel. Right. And then he leaves. And all of a sudden you realize she, she seems very naturalistic the whole time. And then he leaves. And all of a sudden she just, you realize, oh, she's been putting on a performance and basically holding her breath this whole time. If not physically, then emotionally. Yeah. Uh, and then you just see her like start to explode, and you realize, right? She seems very embittered and very and, and tough as nails, but she is still kind of when dealing with this guy, kind of a, just a scared little girl, right? Just like as she, she was, was yeah. you know, all those years ago. And uh, it's really, yeah, quite a a really wonderful performance because she has to juggle so much. Um, but uh, I will bring up a, a film, uh, a, a great performance that uh, in, in a film that's uh, not that great. Um, okay. The film is Away We Go. Uh, the performance is Maya Rudolph. Really? She is really, uh, I guess this is a good year for SNL actresses, um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, anyway. Right. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Away We Go is directed by Sam Mendes, uh, and though it is a seemingly lighthearted comedy, it seems to have just as <laughs> I'm sorry. It seems to have just as much uh, contempt for America as all of his other films. <laughs> um, but uh, and there's a lot of kind of precious, you know, like cutesy, quirky stuff in there. But there are certain scenes that are really solid and really well written and really well acted. 
Um, if you look at it as a whole, when I look at the film as a whole, uh, I don't really like it that much. But when I look at like certain individual scenes, like that's a that's a great scene. That scene is there's no question that that's that's really strong. Um, and invariably, pretty much all those scenes have Maya Rudolph in them, and she is the ostensibly it's about this couple, but in reality it's about her, mm-hmm. and it's about a couple that is that uh, you know the they are expecting and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives, and she just and because she has a lot of family issues that she brings to this, she just is really searching and you can tell just without her ever coming out and saying it, although in a couple of scenes she kind of does and that's a flaw of the script, but like you can tell how panicked she is, but she can't seem like it because she kind of has things more together than the guy that she's with. Right. And so she kind of has to be the strength for both of them. Um, while also, you know, she also has to be kind of funny. It's more of a drama than a comedy, I think. But um, but yeah, she really is the glue that holds that whole film together, and she is the driving force of the plot. And you really see her in in ways that you know uh, I wouldn't have expected. And uh, yeah, it's a really great performance. And I'd say the film is worth seeing it for that performance. Mm. So, what else you got, David? Uh, I've only got one more actor on my list before we get to the, the okay. other other stuff. Okay, I've got a f- I've got a, a few more actors, but I'll talk about them all quickly. But you go first. Um, I, my, my favorite, one of my favorite performances of the year is, um, uh, I guess just a, just a vocal performance, although, uh, uh, I guess other people ha- are, have a, have a hand in creating this whole character, but it's, uh, James Gandolfini in Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's why I hesitate to call it just a vocal performance or to give the credit just to James Gandolfini mm-hmm. because the the suit actor and you know the the team in charge of the the CGI in the face you know uh all should all, all get credit for uh creating such a uh such a, such a sad and heartfelt uh <laughs> character yeah, you yeah. know and uh but I, I I'll I'll still give most of the credit to James Gandolfini because he's uh, he you know he's a he's a grown man yeah, yeah. I mean, you'll notice I didn't I didn't say grown man because I'm trying to take it this seriously here. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you got points to make. Yeah, and he, it's I mean, he's not, you know, old old. He, but he's, mm-hmm. uh, it's been a while since he was a kid. Yeah, and there's just certain strictures placed on you as far as like how you behave when you're an adult. You know, yeah. And his ability to just shed all that and yeah. just still have the voice it's not like he's doing a little kid's voice yeah uh it's still james Gandolfini. it's still you know tony soprano's voice <laughs> yeah. uh but he's just behaving bo- in both in what he says which is in the screenplay which i'll talk about when we get to screenplays okay um but also the way he says it it's it, he has just stripped himself of everything all the restrictions that are put on you as as an adult and mm-hmm. and by and just by living in a civilized society yeah. <laughs> you know and he's just completely a kid uh you know warts and all yeah there there are certain like phrases in there that it makes sense when max says them because he's a kid and you don't think about them 
But then to hear him, as you say, a guy, a grown man with a grown voice, uh, repeating these things. The the thing that I keep coming back to is like the discussion of a real pile, and I'm like, why would why is the word real in there? Yeah, but that's like, the way a kid would talk. That's the way a kid would talk, and just like as opposed to like a figurative pile, it's just like oh. I've slept, you know, I've gotten to sleep in, I guess, they're kind of piles. This is the first time I've gotten to sleep in a real pile, uh-huh. you know, and just the phrasing of that and then his, re- the way he repeats it, it shows that he understands what Max means by that. Like, all the little phrases, all the kid phrases uh-huh. that he has to say, he believe, you know, he, he sells them completely. He really does just, I don't know, it, it actually did get me... Because I think of of uh, you know James Gandolfini as just this this big you know uh, to take a line from you and discussing in the loop this kind of bear of a man yeah uh, who will only ever get a certain type of role but then you look at this and you realize right he's an actor he can uh-huh. do things that you wouldn't expect him to do um, they're not all going to be Tony Soprano. they're not all going to be uh, what's his name big da- is a big Dave yeah big Dave from uh, you know, man who wasn't there right. or the character bear from get shorty, you uh-huh. know? And so like it's just in his vocal performance. Yeah. You do get a sense that like, there's something there's more to this actors. Yeah. There probably anytime a character is kind, uh, an actor's kind well, of typecast. There usually is more to them. Let's talk. I mean, this is a banner year for James Gunn because uh, like you mentioned in the loop mm-hmm. as well, because again, now you mentioned these other characters uh, who are all, you know, big brawny guys, you know? Yeah. And the, uh, the general, I can't remember his name. I can't loop, either. Um, is that as well. And it seems at first like, like, Oh, this is of course the kind of role that James Gandolfini would play. Yeah. But it's the, the first time in a long time he's gotten to play a really smart character too. Yeah. You yeah. know, and his, the intelligence of that character kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. I think because of what you, Expect for you expect him to be kind of a Tony Soprano type because of, just because it's James Gandolfini, you yeah. know, and and maybe um, especially, I imagine maybe British officer British audiences have certain uh, just make certain assumptions when they see a large American in a in a military yeah. uniform, you know, and and a lot of Americans will make assumptions too, you know? right? And in a political satire, when you see a military character, you have certain expectations that it's going to be George C. Scott <laughs> right. and Doctor Strangelove or something, yeah, um, but. Uh, it's it's an is he's an incredibly intelligent character. This yeah. is another screenplay that I'll talk about in a second. Um, and but he he but he still uh, that scene, man, uh, when it when he and Malcolm face yeah. off is the best scene in the movie for me. Yeah, he's he he's kind of Tony Soprano again because he's yeah incredibly intimidating. Yeah. you know, and and of course the the sort of visual irony of of the or not irony, but the the fun of that of that scene is that Malcolm Tucker, who is the physical opposite yeah. <laughs> of James Gandolfini, doesn't back down and is just as right. just as intimidating. And it's a fucking great scene. Well, he's in another he's in another wonderful wonderful scene in the film, and it's pretty much it's not his first scene, but it's in in the, that first section uh, for his character where he's got the goofy kids calculator and he's and he's like calculating casualties uh, yeah how many soldiers will die yeah <laughs> and the calculator is making the uh yeah as he's <laughs> typing it in it's like bong, ding, bong, <laughs> and just so he's doing that but 
just in the way he's talking, he's just talking in facts, but the facts have a meaning for him. He understands them. And so he, in that scene, more perhaps even more so than the Malcolm Tucker scene, uh-huh. he displays an intelligence that that you don't often see in his characters where he just... He just understands the facts, and he's just getting them across without, without displaying too much emotion for the sake of the audience. The facts will speak for themselves, and he doesn't need to imbue them with anything. Um, and the and the fact that I'm sure he, as an actor, understands why this is also funny, but do, but chooses not to overplay that yeah. because how could you ever? Why would you ever want to overplay that? The calculator's getting all the laughs. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and so I would. I'll bring up um, th- uh, three. I won't go into a lot of detail about any of them. But in the uh, supporting actor category, uh-huh. I guess uh, I got three. One, I guess people should just assume that I love Robert Duvall in The Road, um, and and in Crazy Heart. He's good in both. I think I actually like him more in Crazy Heart. Yeah, it, it's it's it all depends on what he's given to do. He can be an incredibly naturalistic actor. And he at, he out naturalistics Jeff Bridges in yeah. uh, Crazy Heart. I actually let's talk about the road for a second because I like the movie overall. But his and while he's good, that mm-hmm. scene is not really my favorite part of the movie at all. Oh no, no, because it seems I don't know. He seems kind of it. It, it I don't know. It has this sort of mystical undertone right. that I didn't really care for, or or just seemed a little on the nose at, at coming at that point in the movie. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's the way the scene is is done. Uh-huh. But I don't think that's the way he's playing it. Yeah. He's yeah. playing it at regardless of what the writer might be doing or what the director might be doing, he's playing the character as a guy who has actually dealt with all the things that he's talking about. Right. Not in an abstract sense, in a very real sense. And Duval is not called upon to give a lot of emotion in films these days uh i don't know why but i think people just see him as in a certain way and he's not a very emotional type actor but in that you really feel the weight of this character's experience and as he talks about his son who's not not around anymore uh not around anymore his son has died that's why he's not around he didn't just leave um like when he talks about that you really see uh, a vulnerability that Rob Duvall really can bring to the screen, but doesn't isn't called to very often, and uh, and I really, and that's that's one of the things that I like about that scene is it does have kind of as you say a mysticism to it that I don't care for, but he kind of, this sounds almost uh, conspiratorial, he kind of undercuts it by just mm-hmm. being like, yeah, you can have all the mysticism you want. This is very real for me, and. Uh, and so I really, and also just the makeup job on him is really great because he's not easily recognizable. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Robert Duvall, real quick, I okay. uh, uh, I often will have you know trouble falling asleep because I'm a night person, you know, and yeah. I don't want to sleep until the sun's almost going to come up. Yep. But uh, uh, so I'll channel surf a little bit and uh, ended up watching uh, on on uh, I think maybe the Sundance Channel or something the first twenty minutes or so of Assassination Tango. Yeah. The other night. Which and then I was perfectly ready for sleep because movie that was frankly a little boring. Mm. But he is he's great. Yeah, uh, and um, uh, and yeah, naturalism is exactly what uh, 
it's the chief word I would use to describe him and his style, both yeah. as an actor and a director. You know, yeah. while I, again, I think Assassination Tango is a little boring, but I love The Apostle. Oh, yeah. And again, yeah, naturalism is always what he's going for. The movie, The, the Apostle sort of, uh, in the same way that Crazy Heart does, sort of just moves and, and breathes in an organic way. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and just in general, uh, at some point, uh, people have told us to talk about like our favorite commentary tracks his commentary on the apostle great really yeah and he he kind of repeats himself a little bit because he's there alone but uh hang on a second sorry there's a there's a hog going by yeah. but um uh it's I, a it's a wonderful commentary and he just I'm trying uh to think what my favorite commentary tracks are. I, I don't really listen to them anymore because most of them are boring uh, to me, and also just like if I'm gonna, uh, this sounds mean, but if I'm gonna spend two hours, I'll spend two hours watching a movie. Yeah, but that's that sounds. Now you told me I should check out the Spartan uh, <laughs> commentary with Val Kilmer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, which I own, I just have never watched it. Maybe I'll never yeah. do that. He's a, uh, he's very, he's very funny. But um, okay, so two two other things I want to talk about. Uh, now, David, you did not see a serious man, correct? No. Okay, um, I. The filmmaking quality is there, of course. Um, I have certain philosophical issues. Uh, I don't think that uh, people are necessarily wrong when they say that the film is vaguely uh, anti-Semitic. And yes, I recognize that it was made by the Coens, who are Jewish. Uh But I think it's still possible to be anti-Semitic if the filmmaker is still Jewish. Anyway, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, there is a performance that I really love, and it's by uh, Fred uh, Melamed. I don't know if that's how you say it, um, but he plays um, the character Cy Abelman, who is uh, the main character's wife's lover. And the way that he, the way that he approaches life, which is if I speak in a gentle enough tone, I think I can get anything I want. Uh-huh. And uh, and just so he comes off just very conciliatory, and you know I think it's probably best if maybe you leave the house, and you know just he basically gets the main character to agree that even though his wife is having an affair, he'll still leave the house and go stay in a hotel. Like this, uh-huh. like this guy through his tone uh, is able to convince the main character to go completely against his own interests, and then. Um, I won't say that because that's too big of a spoiler, and you haven't seen the film. But um, yeah, um, it's not really it's not a priority for you. Yeah, but there are listeners, so yeah, don't say it. right, right. Um, but there are just and the way just his con- his commitment to just being just that kind of quiet monotone, like you're watching Bob Ross, and Bob <laughs> Ross could Bob Ross could spout any any kind of uh, you know horrible Nazi propaganda kind of thing, and all of a sudden you're like. Yeah, that makes sense. Because <laughs> uh, he seems so at ease with it. How could I? How could he not be? How could he be wrong? Um, and it's just a really great performance. That's that's often very funny. And then the last one is Jackie Earl Haley as as uh, Rorschach in uh, Watchmen. Uh, but I won't say much about that except that uh, man, when he like he just burst on burst back onto the scene and has given a lot of amazing performances. Yeah, it's amazing how you know. Before Little Children, I didn't really think about Jackie Earl Haley, obviously. No, obviously no one was. Yeah. And now his name attached to movies, it's like, all right, there's going to be at least one great scene in this movie. Yeah. You know? And him as Freddy Krueger, all of a sudden, it's like, huh, all right then. Interesting. Yeah. You've got my attention. 
it, it's like it instantly adds like some cred. And uh, and I saw Shutter Island, and he's really great in Shutter Island. Uh-huh. Um, he's he's also an actor who will kind of he'll kind of zig when you when you want him to zag, or when you expect him to zag. Uh-huh. Like his performance in Little Children and his performance in Shutter Island, you just expect him to be all one thing. Uh-huh. And then he'll show you that no, there's more to this. Like wh- one of the reasons that I love his performance in Little Children, I realize that's not what we're talking about here, right. but is that you expect him to be like, oh, he's just a victim of circumstance. No, not really. He is this. He yeah. is what people think he is, but he's not all that. And yeah, you well, know, let's talk about that in terms of, of Rorschach. Yeah. Rorschach. I mean, because he's um, obviously he's a, he's a sort of he's a you know sociopath. Yeah, uh, and that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. But he's also, uh, I mean, he he's also passionate, and, yeah, and even compassionate, yeah. Uh, it, he just because he's a maladjusted sociopath finds weird ways of expressing it, yeah, weird and violent ways uh, of expressing it. And his, I mean, his his final scene after yeah. you spent this whole movie with this just this madman, his yeah. final scene is like it's heartbreaking. It really is. It's 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 sad in the in the graphic novel, and it's sad in the way he plays it, because you know, David, you and I were speaking earlier about idealism. Rorschach, if nothing else, is an idealist. Yeah, like he underst- he, he now whether you agree with what he his assessment of what the world should be, whether you agree or not, he absolute he is not going to move from it because it's all he has. Yeah, it's all he has, and he also makes. Um because in his voiceover, he's required to say a lot of dumb things. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that sound kind of corny, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you see, it, you just sort of sense a, a, a certain like arrested development yeah. with him that would lead him to say these these corny things, you yeah. know, because he he doesn't have uh, his 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 mind hasn't really advanced past a certain yeah point of thinking, yeah. you know, or uh, he, he's not going to become a more eloquent or sophisticated person ever you know Uh, and and so he makes you believe that this person would write these silly things oh absolutely and believe them with all his heart and would literally die for them yeah and uh yeah it's it's a really wonderful performance that he had that was it was both a physical performance because you don't see his face a lot Mm -hmm. um so he has to like use his body Uh to express emotion um, but then also, of course, vocally, you know, he yeah. has to be really raspy, but still convey emotion. And uh, and all this, like, you know, when you read the graphic novel, all of the big Rorschach scenes, you're just like, oh, man, whoever plays this part, I hope he nails this. You know, uh-huh. I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me. <sighs> scenes like that. It's like, I hope he really gets it. And man, he does. And it's a wonderful performance. Yeah, and and a, and a and a good bit of casting. I mean, that's my yeah. as much as I like. Um, what's his name? He played Night Owl, uh, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. I like him as an actor, but I don't like him. Uh, I, I don't think he was the right person to cast in that role. I think he actually was. I think you need an actor who's kind of not to imply Patrick Wilson is bland, but you need a character, uh, an actor who is kind of nondescript because that's the nature of Night Owl himself, or at least... But I guess I just don't think... I think Patrick Wilson's a, a handsome guy. Oh, is that? Okay. You know? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I hmm. would... And he seems like... And he's he's a good actor, which is why he gets some 
character type roles, but Patrick Wilson seems too much like a leading man. Yeah. You know, it's okay to cast uh Silk Spectre, you know, Melon Ackerman isn't uh you know, some great thespian. Yeah. You know. But that's kind of okay for her character. Yeah. You know, not uh that seems mean, but it, anyway. Uh it, it's okay that she's really pretty and kind of showy. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what she's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I didn't, I wasn't okay. I didn't like the, I didn't like Patrick Wilson as mm-hmm. just being, I didn't like him cast. I didn't like, uh, I didn't like the performance of <sighs> Matthew Good. Matthew Good. Yeah. Uh, and that's I like because I like actor. him, yeah, yeah. but I did not like his performance as Ozymandias. I think and I think a lot of it's in the direction. Yeah, I, I think that was that was not good casting because uh, he's clearly like younger than everybody else. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I did like Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the comedian, though. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, again, all my only problems with with him are the director's fault. Okay, which are what? Uh, yeah, I, it's not even problems with him. Just uh, the 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 physicality uh, doesn't doesn't oh, yeah. fit, and then um, there's something in, unintentionally hilarious to me that. When he's attempting to rape someone, you get the same sort of like whooshing sounds as when he's fighting someone. Yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to be like a badass fight scene. And then, like, yeah. how am I supposed to feel about this int- attempted rape? He's yeah. t- <laughs> David, let me throw this out uh-huh. out at you. Maybe the director was making a comment that this guy is such a man of violence and sees his own violence as so awesome, usually, that he cannot differentiate. Let me throw this out at you. Okay. You're giving Zack Snyder way too much credit. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> okay. Let's move past. We, we ended up, this is going to be sort of all performances, but um, uh, we're, d- we're done with that now. I want to talk about, now I already, Coraline was my number six favorite movie of the year, mm-hmm. you know, but it's almost weird to me that, that stop motion gets put in the same category in the in the oscars and in general with mm. computer animation and hand-drawn animation yeah because all all three of them are really vastly different disciplines yeah you know um but i just want to point out now there's fantastic mr fox which is uh my number 10 favorite movie of the year yeah um it sort of looks like you expect stop motion to look it's a little it's a little herky-jerky you yeah. know um and that's not a sign of amateurism. That was that's yeah. clearly an aesthetic choice, and it really works yeah, for yeah. that movie. Yeah. You know, um, but there's something about the fluidity of Coraline, yeah. and just the uh, the intricate it, the intricacy. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Intricacy. Yeah. 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 Not, I almost said intricateness. That's not it. That's not a word. Okay. Uh, and just the the scope that. I know you're not supposed to think these sort of things when you're watching a movie, but I just think like, man, that must have taken forever. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of patience. And yeah, like, we talked last week about the scene uh, towards the end when the other father is like chasing her through the garden. You yeah. know, and not only is it terrifying, yeah, uh, legitimately terrifying to me, a grown a grown man, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but there's so much going on. Yeah, uh, it, it's so much detail, and it looks so fluid it looks as fluid to me as hand-drawn animation yeah and that's uh or computer animation you know and and that's i just thought that was really worth worth mentioning yeah and it's odd that you that you do mention that because uh in the directing category i did actually write down wes anderson for Uh for fantastic mr fox because uh and and david i'm I think I'm more of a fan of his than than you are, but I'm not as much of a fan as other people. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's because of his 
attention to detail in the background. Minutia. Yeah, but that's, as we've discussed, that's the kind of thing that works really well for, uh, you know, uh, stop-motion animation. Uh And also just, clearly he's he's been wanting to create an entire other world in pretty much all of his films and and often does a good job of it um like in Royal Tenenbaums but like this is the first one where he actually is called upon to build a world entirely from the ground up mm-hmm. and and he does and it's it's wonderful it's just such a wonderfully realized world and and what i like is that it's something that just you could watch Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore and Life Aquatic and this and in spite of the fact that it's talking animals stop motion animation it fits in so well both in the script and the the visual aesthetic with his other films it just seems like as we've discussed what he's been visually working towards his whole career um, and it's just it's just so complete and just so beautifully and completely realized that it's like, man, this is, this is, you know, I may be more dis- more dismissive of him than than I sh- than I should be, but like, there you can't dismiss this. This thing yeah. is, is gorgeous. Yeah. Now I want to talk about uh, on the other side of the coin something that doesn't feel at all. It doesn't even seem like it could have been planned. Mm-hmm. Is the cinematography in my favorite film of the year, where the wild things are? Okay. Which. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's one thing to have like a, you know, I'm trying to think of like, um, okay, Roger Deakins is a great cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and he's, a, he's but he's great in a way that seems like you could tell he put a lot of work into deciding what lens to use, where to put the lights, what, you know, what to do with them, all, all the stuff that, that goes into cinematography. You can mm-hmm. see the work up there on the screen and that makes him great. Yeah. You know, uh, this guy, Lance Accord. Okay. I think um, it's 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 the opposite. You almost feel like that that couldn't have been planned because the uh, it it just seems like it seems like he just thought it and it ended up on the screen. You know, yeah. because <laughs> uh, I mean they're just moving in, in a seemingly meandering way, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes very quickly through forest and there's you know there's these lens flares and there's this uh weird sort of color to the movie where it's not uh you know it's not quite sunshine yeah <laughs> you know uh it, it's it, it it's hard to describe but it just uh, i and i don't I, i've been trying for the past two minutes to not use the word naturalistic again because we've mm-hmm. used it so much this episode but um it's naturalistic in a different way not that it necessarily feels real but that it just feels completely organic like it just came it just came from one person just like i said i, I again I, I don't know if that makes any sense to you but the way i think about it is that it's like he thought it and now it's on the screen organic is is definitely i think the word to use more so than naturalistic for that cinematography because it's it's odd that you the way you describe it as he thought it and it's on the screen because i would actually define it as this is we are so inside Max's head uh-huh. that it's ta- that visually everything is taking its cues from his emotions. Uh-huh. If he thinks something, you know, or if he feels something, then we see it. Um, if he's having fun, then the the camera work will 
reflect that. If he's feeling reflective, then <laughs> the camera work will reflect that as well. And so it takes all of its emotional cues from a child. And, of course, no one is more instinctive than a child. And so if he thinks something or feels something, that's, wh- that's where we are right now. Right. And so it, it really, uh, yeah, it's... You know, for for everything that I said last week about where the wild things are, it is a film that seems to, while while I don't think it's for children, it does seem to understand children, from yeah. Gandolfini's performance to the cinematography to the script, it does some seem to understand how a child thinks and feels. Um, yeah, so that's a that's a, I I didn't write down anything really specifically for uh, cinematography, not because I don't have any views on it, but because like. It's all like stuff that's been nominated, and sure. you know, and I feel like it's already yeah, been talked we, we about. Yeah, talk, we Yeah, we talked about Bruno Delbonnel. Yeah, um, last week or maybe on the Oscar episode for the Harry Potter yeah. uh, movie. Um, but really, uh, other than that, I mean, I, I've already, we've already kind of talked about the screenplays where the wild things are and in the loop. That's kind of all I had. You just you said like an entire half sentence with your mouth totally away from the mic. Oh really? Yeah. Like this? Yeah. I wonder how that. I wonder how that sounds. Probably poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. So other, I mean, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about the screenplays for Where the Wild Things Are in the Loop, or do you have your own screenplay? Uh? Uh, no. In the In the Loop uh, is what I want to talk about. Um, there was some discussion on the new Battleship Pretension forum, which is uh, growing leaps and bounds. David, yeah, that's uh, battleshippretension.proboards.com. That's right. Or you can go to battleshippretension.com, click on the link that says, uh, click on the button that says "New Forum," and then click on that's that. That's kind link. of how we'd prefer you do it. Actually, that's how we'd prefer you do it. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, somebody was talking about uh, they actually did not they don't like in the loop really that much at all and they really did not like its use of profanity because it seemed to be like like isn't it funny how much we're swearing and i never took it that way its use of profanity is artful is artful and what can only be described as either mamadian uh-huh. or milchian right um it's not like no the um there's a scene in memento that okay. i hate Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. the, the, the scene at Carrie Ann Moss's house. Yeah. If, you know when she gets him all like worked up and then takes the pens and leaves. You yeah. know and comes back when when she's talking to him, it really does feel like what this person is complaining about. Uh, she says "fuck" so many times. Yeah. And it just seems like like filler. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, I think in that scene it means something because she is trying to get him worked up. But there are other ways to do it. It seems lazy. Oh, okay. It seems like like there's a time you and I had a, a former roommate uh, who used to like to. Uh, I, I I don't want to sound like I'm being mean to this guy. He's a good guy. His okay. name's Cole. I don't know why his name's Cole. Yeah, he wrote our theme music. Yeah, uh, yeah, good guy. But he used to think it was funny to try and scare me, like <laughs> jump <laughs> that's, out. That's true. And the one time that I finally uh, I don't like to be startled. Uh, yeah. And when I finally lost my temper. I just exploded at him and didn't have the time to be eloquent or the presence of mind to be eloquent. Right. And I said, just said fuck a lot. Yeah. If I had had time to write a screenplay of it, I would have definitely said yeah. fuck less and been more, uh, made my point better. Yeah. But that's what the Carrie Ann Moss scene feels like. Um, in the loop, on the other hand, I feel like every time a profanity shows up, in the uh, in this in the screenplay, mm-hmm. it's it's considered and deliberate. Yeah, just as just as all the characters are, because mm-hmm. we've you know we've discussed how everyone in the film is smart, and 
lang- and, and profanity, especially the what could only be described as the wall of profanity in the <laughs> film. It's you know these are these are characters who cannot show any vulnerability. They can't show what they're actually thinking, so they will use profanity almost as a distraction or a smokescreen, uh-huh. and to show just how unflappable they are. You know. Um, and the reason that I said that it was Milchian, uh, that's a reference to David Milch who wrote Deadwood, and uh-huh. his use of profanity in Deadwood is quite possibly the best I've ever heard. But <laughs> um, but I remember when I first saw it, uh, I remember thinking like, man, like the profanity, they're really going out of their way to use it. And then I saw a special feature in which Milch said, yeah, his, that's historical because uh-huh. these were people, you know, you didn't swear in polite society. And these were people who were actively rejecting polite society. So they would go out of their way to swear. They would they would do it specifically because they knew that anybody who's who, who uh, from, as I said, polite society who would like wander into town and be like, everything about this place is terrible. Even like everything offends me. Every, uh-huh. All my senses are offended, especially <laughs> my sense of feeling because I'm being stabbed. Um, but like, yeah. it's, so it was very deliberate. Like the people themselves were deliberate in their profanity. So he wanted to reflect that. And so I think the characters in, in the loop, I think they probably would be very deliberate. Uh-huh. You know, Malcolm Tucker is the most profane one, but he's also, and it should be noted, he's also the most aggressive one. He has to do this to, sh- to really offend people's senses so that he, so that their guards are down and then he can just attack. Yeah. And so I think it's, I think the use of profanity, yes, it is often funny, but it's not used solely to be funny because you can feel when it's, when that, did, you didn't see Burn After Reading, did you? No. Okay. A friend of the show, Jason Eakin, kind of uh, mentioned this before I saw it, so I went in thinking this, but like, there are scenes, there's a scene, uh, an outburst scene with John Malkovich mm-hmm. in which he's given a lot of, a lot of swears uh, to say and it does feel like too much. And I'm somebody who likes, who usually likes the way the Coens write. Yeah. But it just seemed, it seemed excessive and unnecessary. And like, and it did seem like they were saying like, look how much he's swearing. Isn't that funny? I never got that sense in, in the loop. It seemed deliberate, but that doesn't mean it seemed forced. Mm-hmm. That's not, it's, it's not the same thing. And, uh, and so the writing of in the loop is good in general, but like its use of profanity, which is what a lot of people have discussed it's I think it was really, really wonderful, and okay. so that's what I want to talk about in the writing of it well, uh anything else we've been going for a while now okay uh, i think I think I'm done okay um well we we promised last week that we would reveal uh the contents of the prize packages for the yeah. do- donation drive we've got uh, some of them yeah we're we're still waiting for some confirmations, but yeah. uh, we've got some really really cool stuff yeah uh that that you're gonna want okay um so here's what we, David. Here's what we got. Okay. Right now, that's that's confirmed. It's in my possession, David. Uh-huh. All right. David, you may recall. You remember Nathan Basil? Yeah, he was a good friend of ours. Uh, he was uh, a good friend. He was uh, on the show, and and he was in the film Behind the Mask. Mm-hmm. David, I got some good news for you. Yeah. Not so much good news for you as it is good news for whoever wins the raffle as yeah. a function of our donation drive. They will receive an autographed DVD copy of Behind the Mask. Yeah. Very exciting. You'll get uh, a few weeks ago, we had Graham Elwood uh, and Chris Mancini on the show. Graham Elwood's got a new CD called uh, The Comedian's Got a Boo Boo. Yeah. I wish I could be like like Doug Benson always does and say it in like the way Graham Elwood uh, would say it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sorry. What is that? I, I, uh... Oh, yeah, when, uh, when, on I Love Movies, whenever uh, Doug Benson says the name of Graham Elwood CD, yeah. he says it the way Graham would say it. You Which know? is how? Uh, the comedian's got a boo-boo. I can't comedian's do it. Comedian's got a boo-boo. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which actually, I went into Dennis Miller at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so we uh, we have we have that. that is, that is not signed because it's sealed. Right, right. So um, we've got... Uh, okay, so we've got... Uh, you remember... David. Yeah. Uh-huh. You watched the Oscars. I sure did. And you saw our good friend, and that's actually not a joke. He's our good friend, Greg, Greg Helvey. You saw him there. I did. I saw him. He was there. It was very strange. On TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he was nominated, you may recall, for his short film, Kavi. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so he's going to donate that to the cause of our donation drive. That will also be signed. So there's, there's one right there. Another signed thing. An Oscar-nominated short film. Yeah. Uh, speaking of autographs. Yeah. Uh, now, you met Doug Jones. I sure did. I didn't. Yeah. I was ill. You weren't doing well. No, um, but uh, he's did, my best. He's did, my best friend. Yeah, not I, yours. I did listen to the episode. Oh, good. good. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for thanks for making me talk about Buffy. Uh, no, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, uh, we've got we've got his uh, uh, his film, Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. That's correct. Autographed. It is autographed. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's for you guys, everybody. Uh, and then we do have uh, now, David. You uh-huh. might recall. My best friend for years, Maurice LaMarche. <laughs> I do. Um, I like this part. I like this character I'm playing. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we have the first season, unfortunately, not autographed, but we have the first season of Pinky and the Brain. Yeah. Uh, featuring the voice of Maurice LaMarche as the brain. Yeah. So we've got that for you. And then, of course, we've got several, several other things that are still kind of up in the air. Yeah. Uh, we've got comedy CDs. We've got movies. We got a lot of things that are that that you could win, and mm-hmm. of course, David. Let's not forget battleship pretension merchandise, T-shirts, yeah, a coffee mug, perhaps. I don't know. It's it's kind of up to you. So yeah, donate five dollars or more, or sign yeah. up for a donation subscription. Yeah, uh, between now and when? Uh, the time we call it off. <laughs> yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah, we'll let you know. And end of April. Probably. End of April. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and you will qualify to be. Uh, in a raffle to win one of these prize but we're not going to give them all away to one person we're that's gonna, right we're going to split it up among, yeah. among three people probably um good stuff and here's how it's going to work by the way okay so if you if you donate five dollars or more in just a one-time donation your name will be submitted once uh-huh. however if you sign up for the donation subscription which is two dollars a month comes out automatically from whatever bank account or credit card or paypal account you put up there yeah it's two dollars a month you don't even feel it. You don't even feel it. All right. If you do that, this is fun. I like that. <laughs> um, if you do that, your name is will be submitted twice. That's double the opportunities. Double the opportunities. Yeah. Double the fun. <clears throat> so, um, however, if the randomizer does pick your name <laughs> for both, I'm sorry, you will only receive one prize package. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's slow down, everyone. Don't <laughs> st- don't start getting greedy. Yeah, that's very unlikely to happen. Though. Yeah. Um, so other than that, um, you can always find us at battleshipretention.com. Email us, david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can, you can follow me on, on Twitter tweeting for the show and pretty much for myself. Yeah. Uh, it is, I'd say it's definitely for yourself. Yeah. I do a lot of movie related 
stuff, you know. Yeah, I've but been, even been, those are still kind of for yourself. I've been following the the whole uh, the the arrest of Iranian director Jafar Panahi, and I like that you're actually following that because yeah. I don't. It's not getting enough press. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's at twitter.com slash the pretension. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find uh, Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons, which right. is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find in iTunes or at more than one lesson.com. Right. You can find us in iTunes, of course, write a review. That would be great. Subscribe. Uh, and you can also find my other podcast previously on in, in iTunes and follow on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash previously on show with no w yeah doesn't didn't fit do you have to type with no w yeah it's previously on s-h-o-w-w-i-t-h-o-u-right okay (laughs) that's a long handle david i think (laughs) no it's it's previously on s-h-o okay previously on show and uh and of course a reminder we mentioned it earlier uh battleshippretension.proboards.com Yeah, but you can get there through our website and that's kind of how we'd prefer it. That is how we'd prefer it, yes, but uh, go and uh, and, uh, you know, create a profile for yourself and take part in the the discussions. A lot of good uh, conversations happening there. And, uh, yeah, so uh, until until next week, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. We gotta, once I move in, we gotta have you guys over for game night. No questions asked. Alright. Were you recording me saying that about game night? <laughs>